Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. I want to begin this morning by telling you a little bit about Joanne. Joanne graduated with a degree in French in 1987, but was feeling like a complete failure by 1993. She was 28 years old, had no job, had just ended an abusive relationship with her husband, and was raising a daughter alone as a single woman. Her own mother had died about three years earlier. She was not on good terms with her father, and so she moved into a mouse-infested flat near her sister. And unable to find employment, she um, applied for government assistance and fell into struggling with depression. It was her daughter that kept her going, as well as a novel that she had begun writing by which she was able to process some of the love and the loss and the separation and the death that she had been experiencing. Now, her trouble landing a job ended up proving to be a silver lining because it allowed her to persevere on this novel that she had started, a novel that she completed by typing the final manuscript on a typewriter in 1995. And she then submitted this finished manuscript to 12 different publishers for publication, and all 12 of them rejected the manuscript. But Joanne continued to persevere, and it was eventually picked up for publication and was released in September of 1998. And in December of that same year, just four months later, it was on the New York Times bestseller list. Joanne would go on to write six more books as part of this series that has been translated into 65 different languages worldwide and has been made into multi-million dollar films. You might know Joanne better by her pen name. Her name is J.K. Rowling, and the book that was a result of her perseverance was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Now, you might not find yourself in the same set of desperate circumstances that J.K. Rowling once found herself in. But your life undoubtedly involves challenges and varying degrees of hardship that call for your perseverance. And so in early 2020, before the pandemic hit, I preached a short series on cultivating Christian virtue. And we looked at courage, humility, and forgiveness. And this morning, I wanna add a fourth virtue to that series, the virtue of perseverance something that God requires of us and something that God calls us to in his word. And one of the clearest places that we see that call to perseverance is in Hebrews chapter 12, the first three verses. So that's the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should be able to locate one of our paperback Bibles underneath one of the seats in front of you. And our passage can be found on page 585, of those paperback Bibles. But again, looking at Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three, if you found that in your Bibles, I invite you now to stand for the reading of God's word if you are able. Hebrews chapter 12, first three verses, this is what we read in God's word. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him 
who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord abides forever. You can be seated. Well, in exploring what this passage has to tell us about the virtue of perseverance, let's start with explaining the call to perseverance. Explaining the call to perseverance. So many things in life require perseverance. In fact, even at this moment, we find ourselves having to persevere through a global pandemic, something that's gone on for almost two years now. But if we want to reach excellence in our work or excellence in our craft, that requires perseverance, learning a new language, learning to play an instrument, excelling at athletics, reaching a high level of physical conditioning or losing weight, all call for degrees of perseverance. Enjoying healthy relationships, happy marriages, and deep friendships demand perseverance. These are not things that happen quickly. It requires perseverance. And not only those things, but following Jesus as his disciple requires perseverance. To walk with him, to remain steadfast in prayer, to resist temptation, and to grow in grace and in holiness, all of these things require perseverance. We cannot be a faithful follower of Jesus without perseverance. It is an indispensable and necessary virtue for the Christian. And so we shouldn't be surprised that when we turn to Hebrews chapter, three, or chapter 12, these first three verses, we are told three times in these three verses to persevere or, endurant, or to endure. We are called to these things in this passage. And that shouldn't surprise us. The Greek word that could be translated either perseverance or endurance is pronounced hupomone. It's one word, hupomone. And the reason that I'm saying that is because I'm going to say it a number of other times in the message this morning. So you can see how often it occurs. But it can be translated either perseverance or endurance. And in ancient times, it could be used to refer to a plant that had the ability to, to thrive in harsh environments, like in desert surroundings or in rocky places. But when it's referring to the Christian virtue of perseverance, it's referring to a person who, if we could advance that, it refers to a person who continues moving toward a goal for a long period of time, often longer than one perhaps expected or prefers to be moving forward. But it refers to a person who continues moving toward a goal for a long period of time with determination, resilience, trust, and righteousness, despite Facing difficulty, setbacks, opposition, weakness, distress, pain, or suffering. That's what we're talking about with the virtue of perseverance. Now notice here that the Christian virtue of perseverance isn't just about holding one's ground stagnantly for mere survival. It's more than that. Christian perseverance moves forward. It presses forward. Perseverance is goal-oriented. There is an end to be reached. There is a finish line to be crossed. There is a course to be completed. And so we find here the author of Hebrews comparing the Christian life to a race, comparing discipleship to a race that must be run with endurance. And it requires endurance because it's long. Discipleship doesn't happen overnight. Growth doesn't happen overnight. It's not a sprint. It's more like a marathon. In fact, we could say it's more like a series of marathons. 
to continue pressing on in growth in discipleship. And that calls for perseverance and endurance. But it calls for perseverance and endurance not just because it's long, but also because there's difficulties and obstacles involved in it. We read of things like weight here. Weight that must be thrown off, lest it drag us down. And we read about sin that clings, that tempts us to give up and to trip us up and to also bring us down. The author John Bunyan depicts this insightfully in his classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress. The main character of his book is named Christian. He's converted to Christ and he begins this road toward heaven, toward God, toward the celestial city. And as he moves toward and makes progress toward the celestial city, Bunyan has Christian encounter things such as this, the sloth of despond, the hill of difficulty, the valley of the shadow of death, giant despair, doubting castle, and more. There's all of these trials and hardships and obstacles that he faces. But perhaps the hardest thing that Christian has to do in the story is just to keep going, to persevere. Remember that our path is an ascent upward toward the Lord. We're moving toward glory, to dwelling with the Lord. And so this race that we run is uphill, not downhill. And that means that it's hard. And that's the nature of Christian discipleship. Jonathan Edwards reminds us of this when he says, the way to heaven is ascending. We must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome and contrary to the natural bias of our flesh. So in explaining this call to perseverance, it's, it means to keep moving forward faithfully, despite whatever difficulties obstacles, opposition, and suffering that we might face. But we do so maintaining a trust in God's goodness and maintaining a righteousness that does not give in to wayward rebellion or a spirit of grumbling or complaining. You see, this is where Christian perseverance includes things like trust and righteousness and not just resilience and determination. We, we move forward trusting in God. It's a call to press on. And while we press on, it's a call to push back against the darkness that's constantly seeking to expand in the places around you and inside you. And that darkness is relentless. And perseverance pushes back with every step that darkness with the light of Christ. And that's hard. Life does not offer us the option to select the easy level in this race. There's no easy level to select. Much less does God provide this offer for us to select the easy level for those of us who would seek to follow Jesus faithfully as his disciple. There is no easy level option. God doesn't offer that. What God does offer, however, are tools for perseverance. And so let's look at that next. Employing the tools for perseverance. How do we find the strength to persevere in the face of difficulty, great difficulty, hardship, setbacks, obstacles, pain, distress, over extended periods of time? Where do we find the strength for that? Well, there are hints in our passage beginning in verse 1. The reader is alerted to the existence of this great cloud of witnesses. And what this great cloud of witnesses teaches us, what important lesson we learn here, is that we don't run this race alone. 
we enjoy the support and encouragement of those who have run the race before us. Because we have to understand that we don't run the race well in isolation. We need the tool of companionship and we need the tool of community. We don't run the race well in isolation. Bunyan is again insightful in depicting this in the Pilgrim's Progress because Christian does not journey toward the celestial city alone. He is joined by a traveling companion named Hopeful along the way because we need traveling companions as well. We need each other to persevere and endure these challenges and hardships and suffering well. But it's not just those of us that are walking the path with us that we need. We need those and the encouragement of those who have gone before us. The great cloud of witnesses that we read about in Hebrews chapter 12 are the very ones that we read about in Hebrews chapter 11, the chapter before, a chapter where we read about people like Abel and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and others, all who walked this journey before us, who ran this race with faith in God and trust in him before us. What the author of Hebrews wants us to know is these are not just people that we should remember. These are witnesses that we should hear. These are witnesses that testify to us, that encourage us, that serve as examples of persevering faith in the face of waiting, in the face of setbacks and opposition and persecution. Now what enabled them to press on in the faith was that they did not focus on the pain or the difficulty of the moment. They were able to see beyond the pain of the moment. Their vision was bigger than the moment. It was a vision that beheld the heavenly country or that was focused on the reward. These are specific references in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 16 and verse 26, applied to Abraham and Moses specifically, looking forward to the heavenly country looking forward to the reward. They were not focused on the pain or difficulty of the moment. Their vision was bigger than that that enabled them to run with a higher purpose. There was a purpose involved that transcended the difficulty, that transcended the pain, and that purpose was future glory that was promised. They could run to attain the purpose and, and goal of future glory. And actually, we're called to do the same in verse 2 with Jesus himself as our example. Look in the text again at verse 2, where we're told, looking to Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, looked past the pain of the present moment. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Guess what that word right there is for endured? It's hupomone. Jesus himself practices perseverance and endurance. And we're called to do the same. Yes, the race is long. Yes, the race is hard. It's uphill. It's rocky. It's painful. It's difficulty. But there is joy on that road. And so don't lose sight of your purpose. Don't lose sight of your Savior. Because the calls of discipleship that call you to take up your cross and to deny yourself and to follow him are not for nothing and they're not in vain. They lead to glory. Don't lose sight of that purpose. A good case can be made that the entire book of Hebrews is written to encourage Jewish converts to Christianity. So they're ethnically Jews, but they have converted to Jesus, but they're undergoing persecution by other Jews who have not become Christians, and they are tempted to turn back in light of that persecution. The whole letter is to encourage them 
The letter is written to encourage them to persevere even in the face of that persecution. And the argument that the author of Hebrews uses is that Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus is a better high priest than the Old Testament priesthood. Jesus offers a better sacrifice than is possible in the Old Testament. And Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant. And so it would be foolish to turn back. Stay the course. Stay the course like the covenant people of old did. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. Stay the course like the covenant people of old did for the joy of glory that was set before them. And again, Jesus is our example of this in verse 3. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured. Hupomone. Again, consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Don't be stuck in the pain of the moment. Look forward, look ahead. Look to Jesus who endured persecution. Now, this is in the context of persecution. I think we need to be ready as believers that these waves of persecution that are beginning to surface in our culture are not going to go away. In fact, those waves might get bigger. And the likelihood of being called phobic and bigoted and attempts to marginalize and silence Christians who are seeking to speak the truth of God as we see it in his word, it's going to become more severe. And we have to be ready to persevere in the face of those hardships. We're gonna need community for that. We're gonna need purpose for that. But similar to Hebrews chapter 11, Paul also points us to the entirety of the Old Testament scriptures as a source of encouragement for us in our perseverance. Look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verse four. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, hupomone, again, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So notice where Paul lands here. In addition to the tool of community, in addition to the tool of purpose, we need the tool of hope. Hope is a vital tool for our perseverance because we cannot persevere well without hope. John Bunyan is again insightful here in the Pilgrim's Progress because it's no coincidence that the traveling companion that joins Christian is named Hopeful because we need hope to endure. Most of you probably have never heard of Florence Chadwick. Florence Chadwick experienced her fair share of disappointment uh, and defeat as an early competitive speed swimmer until she turned her attention later in life to open water endurance swimming. She began doing that at the age of 32. And in 1950, she set the record for the least amount of time it took to swim across the English Channel. Now, Florence Chadwick then, in 1952, two years later, attempted to swim from Catalina Island to the coast of California, which is 26 miles. And in this challenge, what proved most difficult was not the 26 miles, was not the open waves, and it wasn't even the frigid, frigid temperatures of the Pacific Ocean. What proved most challenging was that a fog descended during the race, and she could not see the coastline that she was swimming toward. And so she got tired. And she grew fatigued and discouraged because she didn't know how far she had to go and she lost hope and she stopped. She got in the boat that was with her and she found out that she stopped just one mile from completing the challenge. But Florence Chadwick had perseverance and endurance. So two months later, she decided to try again because she thought, if I could just see that coastline, I know I can make it. So she tried again and amazingly, fog descended the second time too. She couldn't see it. But this time, 
She clung to the hope that the coast was there even though she couldn't see it. And in clinging to this hope, it enabled her to finish and complete this challenge. And in a similar way, we need the hope through the difficulty that we will reach our destination even though we cannot see it. You and I cannot see the finish line. And so we need hope that we will arrive at this destination. And we have this hope. We have this hope because Jesus has secured our arrival in glory by his presence in heaven. Notice how the author of Hebrews points this out to us. He says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is already where we're going. And because he is there, because of his work on the cross, because of his presence at the right hand of the Father, because of the Holy Spirit that he has poured out upon us from his ascended place, we have the sure and certain hope that we also will reach our destination. This anchors us in hope. But it also leads to the third thing that we're going to look at this morning. That is esteeming the outcome of perseverance. Esteeming the outcome of our perseverance. It's obvious that we need to highly value or esteem what will result from our perseverance if we ever hope to practice it faithfully. We have to value it highly because it's hard. And so we have to have an esteem that transcends the difficulty. But why does the author and perfecter of our faith insist upon our perseverance? Why is it so crucial that we become a persevering people? Why doesn't he make the race easy? Or at least easier? Why does the course that we're called to run involve such difficulty and trial? Well, deep down, don't we seem to know that the challenges and the difficulties and the setbacks and the suffering and the adversity and the hardships that we face call for perseverance. And these are the things that grow us spiritually and develop and deepen our character. We seem to know that. We need those hardships to grow spiritually and in our character. Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, recognizes this when he says, difficult experiences become the crucibles that forge our character. And probably most of us by experience know that this is true. But we don't need Stephen Covey to tell us this because the Bible has already told us this. We read in James chapter 1, verse 3, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Guess what that word for steadfastness is in James chapter 1, verse 3? It's hupomone. And guess what produces it? The testing of your faith. The challenge of your faith. We read something similar in the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 3. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance hupomone it's not the comfort in our lives that produces that endurance it's the suffering that produces that i've said this before it's not constant and interrupted sunshine in our lives that makes us flourish and fruitful constant sunshine only produces a desert and nothing grows there we need rain we need sun true but we need rain and wind and storms in order to experience growth and in order to develop strong, deep roots of character. A sense of entitlement in life 
and a demand for your life to be one of pampering is an expression of immaturity. It's immaturity to have a sense of entitlement and expect life to be comfortable and for you to be pampered. Spiritually mature people accept, they face, and they persevere through hard things, through challenges, esteeming the outcome of that, which is character growth. They esteem that. They value that character growth and understand that that requires hardship through perseverance. Character development requires perseverance over long periods of time because our character is forged in an oven and not in a microwave. That's not mine. I read that. But I thought it was accurate. Character is forged in an oven, not a microwave, which means it doesn't happen instantaneously, and it requires an oven to do that where there's heat, there's flame, there's hardship, there's difficulty. That's what grows our character. And God is committed to growing our character through struggle. He's committed to doing that. And we know that the most meaningful things in our lives and the most celebrated victories that we've enjoyed have all involved some measure of struggle. We recognize that. And that's true not just on an individual level, that's true on a societal level. Listen to what Martin Luther King Jr. said. He said, human progress is neither automatic nor inevitable. Every step toward the goal of justice requires sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. To obtain good things in a fallen world is going to involve sacrifice and struggle and suffering. But we could expand what Martin Luther, says, or Martin Luther King Jr. says here about the goal of justice and to say every step toward the goal of holiness and sanctification is going to involve sacrifice, suffering, and struggle. Not always acute sacrifice, suffering, and struggle, but some level of suffering, sacrifice, and struggle if we want to experience good and spiritual growth in this fallen world. It's just the way it is. And Thomas Paine also, we sense, is correct when he says, that which we obtain too easily, we esteem too lightly. How true is that? We esteem the things that required some perseverance. Those are the meaningful things for us. Do you know that the worst thing that you can do for a moth that needs to work its way out of its cocoon, that is emerging from its cocoon, is to free it from its struggle? That's the worst thing that you can do because forcing its way out of the cocoon is essential for its development to fly. And so if you free it from that struggle or you remove that struggle, you've doomed that moth to a crippled life of crawling and limping and an inability to fly. It needs the struggle. And our hardships, our adversity, the challenges, the setbacks, the opposition that we face in life function a lot like that cocoon necessary for our strength and development for becoming the people that God wants us to be. It's necessary to become the people that God wants us to become. And so while we might want God to remove that struggle from us quickly or even immediately, he doesn't do it. He often will not do that. It's not because he doesn't love you. He's not going to remove that struggle from you, not because he doesn't love you, but because he does love you. And he has appointed those things for your good through perseverance. Someone has said it like this. The Lord uses adversity in our lives for his purposes. He doesn't always deliver us from resistance because his first concern is not our comfort. Hear that. 
His first concern is not our comfort. God wants us to become like him. That's his aim. That's why he insists upon our becoming a persevering people. Because this really gets us to the point of esteeming the ultimate outcome of our perseverance. Listen to what Ed Welch writes. I hope you can see that better than I can see it on the screen back there. Ed Welch writes, Perseverance isn't flashy. It doesn't call attention to itself. It looks like putting one foot in front of the other. But beneath the surface, where few can see the glory, is something very profound. You are becoming more like God. Through our struggles and pain, when God encourages us to persevere, he is not stumbling for encouraging words. He is teaching us how to look like him. Get this. Our God is called the God of endurance and encouragement in Romans chapter 15, verse 5. The God of endurance. Guess what the word is there? Hupomone. He is the God of endurance and encouragement. Our God is a persevering God who perseveres for us. And our Savior, this is what Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 is about. Our Savior is a persevering Savior. Our ultimate example of the one who persevered, endured the cross, endured persecution, and he persevered for you and for me. We are the purpose. We are the joy that was set before him. It's not just his eventual exaltation and ascension to the right hand of the Father. That's undoubtedly part of it. But the joy that was set before him is you and me as his people. That through his work we would be reconciled and restored and brought into everlasting fellowship with him. He has persevered for you and for me. And so remember that the next time that you're tempted to give up and give in to faithlessness and sin because the way of righteousness is difficult. Remember that there is something glorious in the call to perseverance. Remember that there is something glorious in the small steps that you will take this week to be faithful to your Savior. But don't try to do that by yourself. Employ the tools that God has given. Do that in community with the support of one another. Run that race together. Stay in the scriptures and hear the witness of those encouraging you and cheering you on in that race. And do so with the higher purpose, not being stuck in the pain of the moment, but looking to Jesus and looking to the glory that's ahead. And do that with hope that you will surely arrive in glory because of the work of Jesus. And esteem the outcome of your perseverance, becoming more like your God and your Savior who has loved you and persevered for you. Remember that on the far side of the wilderness, there's a promised land of rest and joy. And remember that after a cross, there's a crown of life that's afforded by God to his people by grace through Jesus Christ. And the reason we know that after a cross, there's a crown is because of Jesus, because of who he is and what he's done for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this call to persevere. We thank you for the tools that you have granted to us, and we thank you for your faithful work in our hearts and lives to make us more like yourself. And that involves becoming a persevering people. Lord, strengthen us. Continue to grow us. Strengthen our roots. Make them deeper in character that we might become more like the people you've called us to be and more conformed to the image of Jesus who has loved us and persevered for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.